Hey everyone, this is Allison Lee, and you are listening to CraftCast. And on today's show, I'll be talking with Bruce Pepich, the executive director and curator of the collections at the Racine Art Museum in Racine, Wisconsin, plus lots of other news to share with you. So let's get started. Show number 164. Starting the day again, oh yeah, letting the sun shine in, uh oh, I'm gonna dig within myself, uh oh. Life may be never what you think, but I think I'll just go with it and create something new. This is Allison Lee, and welcome back to another week here from the Craftcast Studio. Oh, yes, I've been very busy here. The fall lineup of live classes online uh, through the Craftcast Studio has taken off, and boy, are we having fun. And uh, thank you so much, all of you who have come into class, who love the classes. Uh, yes, there are now videos during these live on classes, so uh, live online classes. So uh, you get the full experience from different teachers. Uh, as some people have been saying, uh, it's like having a private lesson. So check that out, because coming up this week uh, with Cynthia Tinapple, uh on Wednesday, October 17th, uh, she will be showing everyone uh, the secrets behind polymer clay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and next week, Patrick Cusack is showing polymer clay mixed with metal clay. Can you tell I'm having a good time? <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. Uh, but what else is going on? It's a beautiful fall. Uh, some great Indian summer days, we used to call them growing up. I don't know, is that politically correct still to say? I'm not sure. But it still means beautiful weather. And uh, so I've been enjoying running again outside, not just on the treadmill, which there's nothing better than a wonderful fall run outside in nature around the lake to make you to make a girl feel fine and dandy <laughs> uh, and get her getting her away from the computer. And yes, all of you who have asked, yes, I do have the latest iPhone. I mean, come on. You know, I'm a com- computer computer and gadget girl here. Uh, I also got some other new equipment that's just so much fun and would be very boring to anyone else. But I do enjoy even the smell of opening a new box of something uh, electronic. Just sharing that with you. Didn't mean to, but I did. <laughs> uh, but I do have some other fun stuff to share with you. Uh, first off, hey, how many of you are watching OWN, Oprah's network? I mean, why not own a network, I say? Uh her classes at night, her live, life, yeah, life class, it's called, uh, are genius. And then what I love even better are the live webinars afterwards. She goes live online and it is just so great. And they, you know, the topics are right up my alley. It's all the basic stuff. You know, it's figuring out who you are and how to express it. You know, that's, that's what Craftcast is all about and the people that I have on the show. So, uh, she had on the other night on one of the live webinars, someone I love, uh, Ayanla Van Zant, and it was great. Check it out. Uh, if you don't like Oprah, check it out anyway. It's still really cool. Uh, 
And then on another note, check out this website, cmybacon.com. Usually it stands for CMYB, uh, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black if you're in the printing business. But this is cmybacon.com. <laughs> and it is, if you went to art school, I- I'm just thinking you'll love it, having been someone who went to art school. This person or people review and give links to just high, highly designed, you know, uh, what I always, what we refer to lovingly as the arts apartment kind of products. The one that was featured the other day that just made me laugh is someone who's selling this amazing costume, a giant chicken head costume on eBay. But it is beautifully done. It's so creative and fabulous. But there's tons of other stuff. So that's not fair just to say that. There's great design items for um, carrying your electronics, for um, home items, just things that people have invented and designed and typography. I saw these lollipops, lollipops that were done in beautiful typography. So it was like great, like you could have your name spelled out in lollipops, but beautiful type characters. Oh, it's fabulous. Check it out. CMYBacon.com. And then I do, I have a book I wanted to share with you today as well that I got. It's called Color, Texture, and Casting for Jewelers, a hands-on demonstration and practical applications. And I don't know a lot about casting and all of that. And this book, it's filled with pictures, which I love. Because you know, at the end of the day, when I'm looking at books like this, I need a lot of pictures. Heavy text won't do it for me. But this has tons of pictures of showing you how casting and different things are done and um, microcasting. I'm looking through it right now as I'm talking to you. And it, I sand casting, but it gave some ideas, got a little inspiration going in the brain there. Love that. Uh, So I think it's a really interesting book to. study, go through and get some ideas uh, by Ch- hmm. Carla's Codina, C-A-R-L-E-S. Again, come over to the craftcast.com site. I'll put the link so you can just click right through to Amazon and check that baby out. Okay, so I'm excited about today's guest. I'm at today's guest, Bruce Pepich, um, a while back at one of the conferences, and I heard him speak. And, you know, I don't know, I might have, I'm just going to admit to you that I have some pre- preconceived notions about how someone should be who's uh, an executive director and uh, in charge of um, uh, and curator at a museum. Um, And I'm sure Bruce is listening right now, but I'm just going to say it. I sort of just thought someone's sort of very stuffy, uh, non-approachable. You know, I admit it. That's just what I was thinking. Well, Bruce is not that. Bruce is one of the most uh, inspiring, genuine, authentic people you can sit down and have a chat with. So you're in for a good time uh, listening to what we had to talk about. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful man to talk to. Uh, And uh, this all came up because all of you who are uh, polymer people, we don't say polymer clay anymore. It's polymer artists are interested in polymer, uh, you'll hear all about it, what Bruce has to say, but there's an exhibition coming up at the Racine Museum in Wisconsin. It's called Terra Nova Polymer Art at the Crossroads. So it's a very exciting movement um, and acceptance of a art material into the museum world. How freaking exciting is that? So that's coming right up. And before we hear my talk with Bruce, I have a little bit of music for you uh, by a group called The Civil Wars, doing a song called I've got this friend. And then come on back and we'll be talking to my friend, Bruce Pepich. (laughs) 
know him He's not much for words He's head in his heart away All that he really wants Is someone to want him back If the right one came If the right one came along If the right one came Along someone back who has been on the show a while ago, and we always get into a great chit-chat, so of course this is great fun for me. Today's guest is Bruce Pepich. He is the Executive Director and Curator of Collections at the Racine Art Museum in Racine, Wisconsin, as well as he has recently received the Wisconsin Visual Art Lifetime Achievement Award. Very fancy, I say, Bruce. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And congratulations, an award. That's a lot of pressure, the Visual Art Lifetime Achievement Award. It, it's, let us put it this way. At this okay. stage in my life, it was a little bit 
frightening to get a lifetime achievement award because I still feel I have a lot I know, to I do and I wanted to make sure it wasn't like preempting anything, you know? I know. The joke was I was either going to go out that week and make an appointment to see my doctor or go buy a lottery ticket, and I didn't do either. I oh, should've. well, I think it's fabulous. Congratulations anyway, but I understand. But it is very nice to be recognized for all the wonderful work you've done. And I know, I know you love your job. I do. I really do. I don't like to tell people how much I love it. <laughs> I, but you know what? That You don't have to because it just comes out of your pores. And there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than to talk to someone who loves their creative job. So, it, as, as I tell people, you spend more time um, per day working than anything else other than sleeping. And you should at least like your work as much as you like where you sleep. Do you know what I mean? Because I think I'm going to quote you. <laughs> Bruce says you must love your work as much as you like where you sleep. I think that's genius. Thank you for that. We will be we will be using that as a quote. And I, I couldn't agree with you more because this is the only time you've got. So you might as well, you know, go for broke, I say. so. I, I think if there is any kind of, I mean, we're getting way off topic here into personal no. philosophy, but I think if there is any kind of reckoning up in a cloud somewhere, I don't think it's necessarily going to be about right and wrong as much as did you make use of all this wonderful opportunity that exists on that globe where you were placed? Did you take advantage of everything? Did you engage in things, or did you just take up space? I knew I, I loved you. There oh, you go. My, the little yeah. hairs on my arms just went up. I agree. <laughs> yeah, It's, it's just staying thing. in that place. You know, as we're supposed to always be in there, the trick is always staying in that place is the challenge for people. Well, you have to, you, you know, we all have to work hard, and we have a lot of challenges out right. there right now in today's world. And right. I, I mean, we're all about making people more creative because God, because God knows we need creative solutions to our problems. Correct. But, but you, you, you know there are people who are clock watchers still today and people who, yes. who, don't, who don't fully engage with walking outdoors, looking at the sky and saying, oh my gosh, it's just beautiful yeah. out here. How lucky I am yeah. to be here right now to see this. Yep. And it doesn't have to be um, a paint-by-number sunset, it can just be a, a beautiful afternoon. And it, you, I don't think we think about that quite enough. I know, and it's a good thing to do. All that's, right, well, that's, now- why art, that's why art's important, because it does make you stop and, and think about a lot of that, which I think is important to be reminded. Thank you. And is that really the purpose of the exhibits? Let's talk about that. Is that what it's there for, to stop and be reminded in a, in a one-sentence nutshell? Is that possible? No, one, of my, one of my, I think so, one of my theories is that, is that Philosophy, science, and art are really a, a three legs of the same stool. They all ask, why are we here? How do I live a good life? Mm-hmm. They pose questions. They get you to examine things. They get you to examine yourself. Um, and, and they all kind of head around some of the same things about, about life and, and our existence here and aspects of our lives. And I think in that it is not a frill. It is, a, it is something that keeps you firing at all times and, uh, and just... Um, we, we talk a lot here about, about our programming. The joke on staff is we go womb to tomb because <laughs> we, we start children at, at you know, preschool and classes and, and tour groups, and we, we even have an Alzheimer's uh, program of art education for Alzheimer's patients and their, and their caregivers. And so we, the whole idea is the museum is here um, for you to engage with at any stage in your life that you want to engage in it, and that's it's like a wonderful thing. It's almost as wonderful as the internet. And I'm making. A I was joke. just going to no. say though, but it's, it's interaction. It is. It's interaction. It's always there when you want it. For the most part, you know, right. many of us are open six, seven days a week, um, and you can enter and exit at any point you want. It's not serial like reading a book 
Right. Or, an, or it's like reading a newspaper. You can go in and out for the various sections you want to go into. And they're, they're just great resources in our communities. That's a very good inspirational talk about anyone's museum in their community. It's, mm-hmm. it's very important. It's just like the library. Well, now let's talk about – we were going to talk about polymer. And I'm, sure. I know we only say polymer now, not polymer clay, Correct. Correct. We're tre- and we're treating it as a separate material um, within our, our classifications here, at least at this museum, yes. Correct. And you're, this is very exciting. You have an exhibit that's opening October 21st, 2011, called mm-hmm. Terra Nova Polymer Art at the Crossroads. L- tell us some history about this and why this is important. Well, what, what the, the basis for the exhibition came um, with the um, arrival of, of just under 200 pieces of polymer art, primarily jewelry, but it also includes, it includes wall works and furniture and vessels um, made in the polymer, polymer medium by a, a number of a broad range of American artists working in the material. And uh, the gift has just arrived within the last year from a consortium of about five different um, collectors and a group of artists who donated their own work. And uh, we decided to debut uh, the portion of the collection that deals with the history of the material, which is about a 70-plus year history, and to also focus on eight polymer studios. And I'm saying studios because um, six of them are individuals and then two of them are, are, are two-person collaborative mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who have, who have we're, and we're using a lot of, uh, with the Crossroads theme, we're using a lot of kind of geographic uh, metaphors, but who've crossed over the border from the world of, of polymer aficionados into um, being in museum collections, being repped by uh, fine art galleries that carry other contemporary craft works, and people who have, who have, I think we would say, you know, crossed over or, quote, made it, uh, unquote, in the, in the broader fine art field um, as a means of saying, okay, here's some material that's been used by hobbyists um, up until um, recently, or that a, a large portion of it's been used by hobbyists, and it's been driven by the the broader field who have achieved all of these different technical um, achievements and solved a lot of problems, and now it's starting to be used by people with art school training mm-hmm. for the for the, the the creation of serious museum quality objects. Where does that? Because I love that, um, and as you said, crossroads. Where does that exactly happen, or sort of happen, when you go from? you cross over into museum quality. How does that look or feel that you know that that's happened? Well, I think, I think one of the big things is you go from, you go from um, a very beautifully crafted object that's, that's, well, that's, that's well organized visually, and you go to something that is that, is that well, well uh, created, but at the same time it has an idea, it, has, it makes a statement, it references um, art history or something about daily life, um, in the piece, so there's an, there's an aesthetic and artistic statement that the artist is making using that material. Got it. That was very clearly put. That's a great description of how that happens. Now, and, and I think you could use the analogy in any, in any other craft medium, in, in clay, in fiber, etc. There are, there, as you go across the board in the f- overall field, there are, there are people who are, are fastidious and, and dedicated at learning how to, how to perfect a technique. Mm-hmm. That, and there, there is an accomplishment in that. But I think when you go, want it to become art with a capital A, it must have that level of expertise and then have an additional layer piled on top that gives it more meaning. You know, I was thinking this might be sort of crazy, but I was thinking about where else this can happen. And do you know the show that's called um, So You Think You Can Dance? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. They they add in new dancing. And I remember when they added in crumping. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of that. And crumping is a street type influence dance full of emotion. But now, three years later, they're judging crumping as good, bad, or the statement they made, or what kind of art form it is now. And I think it's fascinating how well, these don't things... You think- don't you think it's it's similar to to, um, to slang com, coming into the Oxford yes. dictionary? You know, every couple of years they update and add and add words, and, and things do bubble up from from um, from you know the, not not at the, necessarily at the top coming down. Things sure come from the top down, but they can also come from the bottom yes, up. Yes, I mean, I think, yes. I think for us, one of the things that that really intrigued me about bringing this material in. I mean, we had some po- a few polymer pieces already in Ram's collection mm-hmm. at the time that I, I had my first meeting with the artist Elise Winters, who's mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the boundary breakers in the exhibition, but she's also um, a, a leader in the polymer field, a teacher and advocate, and someone who's just really seen it as a personal mission to uh, have this material treated seriously. Um, and Elise came to speak with me in 2007, um, and right away from, from that point on, um, I started looking at this and thinking about the material and saying, well, what I liked about it as a museum director is it's a, it's a material that families and children and a lot of people dapple in as hobbyists, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and you, don't get to do, you don't see that in oil painting. You don't see that in ceramic firing. You don't see that in metal smithing or, or weaving necessarily. And what's, what's wonderful is to realize that the public will come in with a knowledge of the handling of the material, they will come in to see the high art um, achievements of handling that material, and it will connect with them in a way that looking at an oil painting doesn't necessarily make that kind of connection with the general public. Interesting. And I'm very big on you know proselytizing. I think you know on, on, on I love that, or, or at least making it make a connection to the visitor. Yeah, no, I I uh, I understand what you're saying, and it does make it more. Does it create the road then between person coming in and a museum piece um, more easy to understand because they've actually had this material in their hands? I think it. I think it does. Okay. You know, you never. I, one of the. I mean, we're seen as a blue collar community. We were the center of the world's tool and die industry in the fifties mm-hmm, and sixties, mm-hmm. and we. We've. It, it was a, a community where we had people of all backgrounds who had um, incredible manual dexterity and a, and a sense of crafts, craftsmanship about what they made on the floor of the factory. Well, now we have their grandchildren and children and great grandchildren coming in to see this this work, and I think if. When they come in and see craft media that's abstract, they rarely say to me, "My four-year-old could, could do that," because they they see, um, they know what has been employed. They know that if stitching was employed, they can tell whether it's machine stitched or hand stitched, and, and those things mean things to them. Um, whereas I could bring in a Jackson Pollock show, and there's not that same connection yeah, with yeah, the material, yeah. right? And and so I find I find that that incredibly fascinating. Yeah. We, we have people here who who are accepting and embrace some of the most sophisticated work. I mean, we did a retrospective for Viola Fry, the ceramic sculptor, a couple of years ago, and, and we were totally blown away by um, not just the fascination that people had with the work and the appreciation they had for it, but this affection they had about her as a person based on hmm. the scale of the ceramics and the questions about you know, well, how many crates did these pieces come in and how did you plan the layout and so on and so forth, to, to see that the guests were really taking this 
all, and thinking it all the way through. And you don't get that kind of engagement with somebody who's just driving through, on, walking through the museum on a, on a mental drive-by. Right, right. And that's what you really want. You really want to make, you want the museum, I think if you run an institution, you want the museum to be a place where the object representing the artist comes together with the guest and, and, and you rub the two together and you make fire. Do you know what I mean? I you do, make, I love that. You make emotional fire and intellectual fire. You make a spark happen. I love that. But now do you think then that uh, is there, trying to get at what was keeping it down from being accepted because to me, I tend to look at things and obviously I'm not in your position, but I look at something and I look to see, am I moved or do I stare at it and appreciate it? I don't always ask, what's the material? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think part of it is, is it has, it did come in um, sort of under the door instead of over the transom or whatever. It didn't come through the open door of the art material world. It's, it's been um, pitched as a medium to hobbyists. So um, in other words, we buy the supplies at Michael's or a craft store as opposed to a high-end art supply place? Is that correct? Oh, okay, okay. Correct. Okay. And, with one of, and as one of my, one of our, our, our uh, the writer, Rachel Karen, who's also an artist, yes. she wrote one of the essays for the book we've published in conjunction with the show. Rachel said that, that, that one of the manufacturers just dropped cobalt blue from their line and replaced it with the blue that they've called denim. Well, that's getting, that's <laughs> getting like, not only oddly specific, but it's treating the material like nail polish. Do you know what I mean? There's yes, a new yes, color yes. every season. So, so we, we need, uh, I think also, you know, you've got people going through art schools where, where we actually do have some art jewelers um, out in the overall field with metalsmithing backgrounds who have used polymer from time to time along with other things like modeling paste to create unusual forms in their in their um, adornment that they make and um, but they've come but they never I don't think they were exposed to that in art school so it's not really a it's not really a university level sanctioned material right right now right, right. so you're either bringing it in from left field if you're using it in school or you're becoming acquainted with it when you're out. Now, it's okay because you have this, you know, this art training and problem-solving ability that you've honed from being in the university system. Right. But I think it would be different if the material was, was, was available and, and treated seriously. So it has had kind of a poor stepchild um, relation with the art world, and I think a lot of the people who have um, segued into using it have been viewed a little bit as like again occupying two two different territories on the map. You know, living with one foot in the fine art world and one foot in, shall we say, like the hobbyist aficionado right. Right. Uh, camp. Do so you... I think what we're hoping to do is to, is to really focus serious light aesthetically on things that we think are great works, and then um, help bring the field along so that there's more achievement along that line. Right. Well. Listen, it only takes just looking at the pieces on, the, on your website and seeing how stunning and provocative everything is to realize that ain't just something by Michael. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's certainly at that kind of level. Now, do you think that passion, I'm sure you've talked to many of the artists, um, that sort of drive of I'm coming in through the back door also fuels the artist to prove or add to or something or no? Well, you know, the field was really very interesting because for some reason it attracted in the adult population a lot of scientific people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and people with, with scientific backgrounds. And, and so very, very early on, they began communicating with each other via the, the, in the early days of the Internet. So there was this incredible amount of, of exchange going back and forth, and some of the leaders 
uh, in the field, like the teacher and writer Nan Roche, um, were, were very, very interested in um, having this be an egalitarian medium where, where there were no secrets that were hidden, mm-hmm, where, mm-hmm. where things were, were um, openly shared on the Internet. And, and, and that, to me, is a, is a 21st century model mm-hmm. that, that you don't see in a lot of the, the other fields. I mean, I've tried to extract from certain ceramic artists what the clay body is that they've used. I can put it very specifically on, their, on the wall labels, and they will not say, right. you know, what their whiteware is made out of, you know, or something. And I respect that if it's something you've, 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 you've found through per, a lot of personal investigations, but polymer has not, has not functioned that way. It's a, lot of the, a lot of the discourse has taken place electronically through the Internet, and I think it's created a, a slightly different paradigm among among the artists, there's been much more camaraderie, less competition. I think there's more, again, um, all the people at work in the field have been taking cracks at problem solving. So, mm-hmm. again, this isn't coming, some of the tech, a lot of the technical advancements are not necessar- have not necessarily come from the top down. They've come from the middle up or the bottom up. Right. And now, that, now, will that change? It may change a bit as, they, as we get more into the art world because the minute you... The minute you bring the museum in, it sort of changes things because we do start to draw lines between um, levels of achievement. And we've talked a bit about about polymer today being kind of where um, photography was in the 50s mm-hmm. and where mm-hmm. ceramics was in the 60s or 70s, where people were making mugs and selling them for $5 at street fairs. Mm-hmm. Um, there, when, it, when that material went into, when contemporary clay went into museums and began to be collected by collectors, there suddenly became a very big difference between um, abstract expressionist ceramic sculpture made by Peter Volkos and uh, a mug made at a, made for functional use at a street fair. Um, so some of those kinds of differentiations, you know, may may happen, but it helps, I think, being aware of it while it's going on because I I still think that the technical advances that the general people in the field will still achieve can can be filtered over to the um, the art trained uh, people who are crossing over into the into the you know capital A art world. Right. Well, so I don't know. You know, you asked me if this was fueling yes. any kind of additional um, work. I think I think there's there's been it's almost like it's worked the other way that there's been so much pride within the field of what they've been able to accomplish that they've sort of been pushing each other along more got so it. than feeling like they've got a chip on their shoulder. Got it. Um, but I I do think it's an we're at an interesting stage now because along with this gift coming to us, um, there were, because of the, of the blending of a number of collections, there were multiple types of the same kind of work by some of the artists. And based on that, we became actively involved with the consortium that Elise Winters headed with having some of this work offered to other art museums. Mm-hmm. And so there are, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, it's the Philadelphia Museum of Art, the Museum of Fine Arts Boston, the Newark Museum, um, the Museum of Arts and Design in New York, and the Mingay International Museum in San Diego. They all took anywhere from 8 to 30-some pieces each. And I'm sure they were all collection. inspired by you. Well, I, I think they. I think the minute they realized we were going into it in a mm-hmm. big way, many of the curators said they were they were interested. In, right. And for the book, we've asked each of the deck arts curators from those institutions to write a little blurb about Polymer's role in their institutions. So we're kind of sharing that light with them, you know their their opinion with the field as as well. And it was nice to have them weigh in on this. Of course. 
No, it's, and what else I think is interesting is that um, I don't think the material is done being discovered, what can be done with it. I mean, it seems to be that's a big part of it is people saying, you know, a new method coming up with, where you don't hear new methods coming up with oil paint or new methods coming up with watercolor or something, but there seems to be still the newness of exploration with this material. There's a, there's a lot of, of, you know, there's a lot of, uh, latitude there, I think, for a, for you, for this is the correct thing. There's, it's, there's a lot of room to move. There's a lot of opportunity there. Um, again, you've only had people of, of all types working with it, you know, for about 70 years and, um, and only in the last, you know, 10 to 20. Um, it's an international movement now. The, the, the material is pretty much all over the world, but, but, it was here in America in the, I think particularly like from the late 80s through the 90s, where it really caught fire um, and guilds were formed and, and annual conferences were organized. And I mean, the, the group got very, very politically organized, shall we say, mm-hmm, in quotes, mm-hmm. um, very early on. And I mean, uh, you know, some of the other craft media have only started, you know, blogging and, right. and sharing information on the Internet over the last couple of years. And, and then there's this whole other aspect of DIY, do-it-yourself do movement, and I think that kind of it, it sort of overlaps the orbit, the, the, the orbit of DIY intersects some of the orbit of, of polymer as well because there's an aspect of that in the polymer field. So this kind of, I find the whole thing very, very much a reflection of 21st century American life and the kinds of mm-hmm. things we do mm-hmm. um, in our spare time and our senses of aesthetics and uh, 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 synthetic material being um, valued as much as um, an original material you extract from the earth, um, the fact that this material polymer can be used to mimic a lot of uh, a lot of uh, th- you know surfaces like uh, jade or malachite or right. ivory. Right. Um, there's a there's a lot of no, it's a magic kind of, material with it, it, people can put, do magic with it. Oh sure, sure, and and so I think and and you know I think they're looking to, for ways to create larger, lighter weight forms. The fact that a lot of the jewelry tends to be relatively large in scale fits in with what's been going on in the jewelry in the art jewelry field yes. over the past thirty years of treating the body as a landscape on which to to put a piece of sculpture and the whole idea of of the wearer kind of becoming part of a collaboration with the artist because they're taking the work out um, and, and presenting it to the outside world by wearing it. It's, um, it, it's, uh, it's all very, very exciting, I think. It is. I mean, it is. It's amazing to look at as well. I mean, it's um, very awe-inspiring. And frankly, I love plastic, so I never had a problem with that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, right? you weren't like, like the graduate, you know, when his, fa- I when know, his, I his think father's friends said he had one word for him. Yeah, we joke about that a lot. Yes. Here, but- you but can imagine. I always being a coming from a graphic art background in art school, plastic was just a huge bright color material that just seemed pretty fabulous to me. So it was uh, pretty dependable and didn't and didn't change. And of course, you know the other the other thing we're looking at at now with polymer is you know what are its what what are its longevity? Yeah, really. How would we know, know that? We don't. We, we can't know. We it, don't. Right. right. No, we know. We know how. Well, I mean, I I am aware that there's somebody in, in England who's supposedly doing some some investigation on this right now uh, who's trained as an art conservator he's trying to determine some of that because we you know we know that we know how clay uh, lives over hundreds of years we know the same thing for silver gold uh, textiles etc because they have l- much longer term 
um, li- lives on the planet. We've had we've been engaging with them for longer, but I'm sort of treating polymer like you treat digital images. We don't know right. about the longevity of digital prints right. in the photography field either, but museums are acquiring them like, like mad. And, you know, a lot of museums acquired plastic jewelry in the 60s, and they're dealing with, with some of the, the, the problems that are inherent with them. You sort of, you, you know, you have to at some point decide, do I take a chance and record what's going on in this time period and, and think, well, we'll deal with any problems that happen later, or do I make conservation issue, something that totally stops me all the time. You kind of have to balance, make a balance That's there. That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Very interesting. Yeah, you know, you, you, try not to, you try not to take something that's going to financially encumber your institution, right. either, either in the next five years while you're still there, right. or 50 <laughs> years from, from now. But, you know, at the same time, I, I think we're all concerned about, about missing um, a chunk of the story by leaving a chapter out. Yeah, good way to put it. Do you see another material that's up and coming that way? Because I know from the classes that I put together and hold online that what's taken off is the combination of polymer with metal. It's the combining of all. Well, and the precious metal clay, I know, is, is, is a big thing. You know, there's books yes. that have been done on that, and I know uh, quite a few metalsmiths have have at least dappled in that as a as yes. a medium, I, you know. I think I think beadwork is you know is is ancient as a as a medium if, if you think about it. But as a museum, as a contemporary art form, I'm not going to talk about about historic artifacts because plenty of that material has been acquired by major museums for for years now. But um, as a contemporary um, artistic statement, I think beadwork is just sort of coming into its own and is similar to polymer in that it has a very, very large um, aficionado slash, um, you know, spectator um, base of people who work in the material. And then there are people in the field like Joyce Scott who, who are true visionaries of mm-hmm. using the material. And they're starting to come, to, to come into museum collections. So I think, you know, just looking not necessarily at a new material, but maybe an older Material that's being put to new use. Got that's it. one of the we're seeing that as kind of a, a sort of a, a field that's moving along with polymer at the same time. That's exciting. Well, now to go back to <clears throat> the exhibit coming up, the boundary mm-hmm. breakers. I know you picked. Um, was it eight people within that category? Mm-hmm. Do you pick by a broad spectrum? Is that done subjectively, objectively? I'm sure the process is intense. Well, it's. It was. We we did feel that it it was intense in the sense that we knew we were going to be making a statement right. about the people who we were, shall we say, anointing or blessing, right? Um, and and pulling into that group. And I can tell you who they who they are. Yes. Um, it's Bonnie Bishop and J M Siren. They make furniture. Um, as a collaborative team. Yes. And I'm sure you're familiar with their word Gorgeous. work. Jeffrey Lloyd Dever. Beautiful. Uh, Je- Jeff makes jewelry and he makes uh, vessels. Uh, he's also making larger scale sculpture. Uh, Kathleen Dustin, many of your, your listeners will be familiar yes. with her work. Um, Stephen Ford and David Forlano, who you mentioned already, they're another collaborative team. Right. Tori Hughes, who's very much known as, a, as, as both an pioneer. artist and a teacher and a pioneer. Yeah. Uh, Cynthia Toops. I talked to her today. Oh, great. <laughs> for, her, for her wonderful micro mosaics. Gorgeous. Um, Pira Volkos, who was one of the early leaders in the, in the field. Yes. Uh, and Elise Winters. Yes. And, and Elise is, of course, nationally known, becoming more nationally known on a daily basis for her jewelry. 
So it, it, what it was is it was on one hand, um, my curator, Lena Vigna, and, and I sat down and looked at, at, at the artist's work from an aesthetic standpoint. And then we said, okay, in addition to this, we then have to make an objective um, selection. And that was driven by people's resumes. Really? You know, were, okay. they in, were they already in museum collections? Right. Were some of these people artists whose work were selected by um, some, of the, some of the other museums involved in taking on gifts? Were, what kind of shows have they, have they been in? Do they have um, commercial gallery representation mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. dealers who are known in the craft field for backing the work of accomplished artists? Um, all, the, the kind of... of Oh, you know, uh, you know, maybe I don't want to say Monday morning quarterbacking, but the kind of of vetting you would do with, when making any selection where you're trying to pick an artist out of a group. All right, I'm, I'm, I like what I see, but do they also have factual data behind the career that that counts? And that was all of these people were had have been recognized with, um, you know, major exhibitions. They've been in in magazine articles devoted to polymer and to other materials right. where their work has been included. They've all been in major exhibitions. I mean, you know, Bishop and Siren, for example, were in a, a show that the Peabody Essex Museum organized a number of years ago where they asked American furniture makers to create um, a piece of furniture influenced by Chinese mm-hmm. um, Gosh. furniture design traditions. And, and that went around the country. Well, you know, they were, in, they were in a show with Wendell Castle and Gary Knox Bennett. I mean, you can you know, and Tom Hucker, um, the, some of the big leaders of the, of right. the furniture field in, in the country. Well, that right away, it, it's not just us anointing them and bringing them into the club. They've also been recognized by other sources. Right. Interesting. I understand. Well, it's very exciting uh, and it's fascinating. And I know you are a total pioneer and leader in all of this. And my hat's off to you. It's, it's, um, it's, I know you're excited for this, too. It officially opens on the 21st, correct? It officially opens on the 21st. And we, it goes through the holidays into January. And we, actually, it goes until February 5th. Of, of 2012. So if you find yourself in the Chicago-Milwaukee area, um, please call us or check our website and stop in and see it. We do have um, a wonderful uh, hardcover book documenting the exhibition, but it's actually more a monograph about the, the field and the boundary breakers, and those are um, being sold through our museum store here at RAM for $35. It's 140 pages with 130 color photographs. Oh, it's and I see the cover. It looks absolutely beautiful. And and say, are you selling any polymer in the gift shop during this? We're we're carrying polymer by all the boundary breakers in the museum store during this time period, and we've got it. We've a, we're also sponsoring a, a weekend a symposium um, at the Wingspread Conference Center here in Racine through, through the weekend of the twenty first through the twenty third, where we are going to talk about where polymer is today. Uh, vis-a-vis these gifts and the exhibition and the book, et cetera, and what is the next, what's the next step? Or as we're, we're continuing the references to the landscape and we're saying what's the next leg on Polymer's journey. Right. Well, I'll be excited to hear. It's very fascinating. I love talking to you. I just want you to know that. It's so <laughs> much fun. You just feed my brain of so much great information. I know everyone listening also appreciates hearing you uh, and the work that you do. So thank you so much, Mr. Bruce Pepich. You have to go, everyone, out to the Racine Art Museum and see what's going on there because it's very exciting. So thank you so much for spending time with me again. Thank you. All right, take care. And, and happy opening. Thank you. Bye-bye.
So I hope you all enjoyed that talk that I had with Bruce Pepich. I know I did. I thank him very much. It was such a pleasure. Uh, And in light of that, in light of my talk that I had with Bruce, I was thinking about today's section, the ET section, the entertaining thoughts section of the show. And the concept of boundaries is what kept popping up for me. And uh, I saw this quote. I'm going to share it with you by Amy Bloom. Boundaries are the lines we draw that mark off our autonomy and that of other people that protect our privacy and that of others. Boundaries allow for intimate connection without dissolving or losing one's sense of self. So I know boundaries issues are up, uh, especially with things like Facebook and social networking, uh, where people are questioning their privacy, how much to share. That's one aspect of boundaries. But I just want to put out put out today's a little thought. Um, so boundaries are important both ways. Uh, and as Bruce was, in, was uh, inferring to, uh, they're important to break and they're important to set. So I leave you with that thought today. I think it's key to know which way to go in each situation. <laughs> All right, guys, you know I love hanging with you. Come on over to craftcast.com where you can um, hear past podcasts. You can also uh, purchase recordings. You can sign up for live classes. Here's a little insider secret. People who come to live classes, log on a half hour early and hang out with me. And we chit-chat before class starts. It's a little virtual cocktail half hour. So please come on and do that. As well as you can send me an email at allison at craftcast.com. As well as you can leave me voicemail at 877-819-1859. So I love hearing from all of you. And until we meet again, you know what I have to say. Get your butt in the chair and keep crafting. Just get yourself right into your chair. Come on, listen. You can learn to create something new. It starts inside you.